weeks ago we talked about the call and about Peter had to, he had to make this choice about whether or not to take literally the biggest catch of his life or follow Jesus. He follows Jesus. And then last week we talked about one of the biggest moments in Peter's life up to that point where they're out on the boat and Jesus is like, yeah, come on out, and he does. And we talked about that impulsiveness that Peter has. It's shown itself twice now in that he drops everything to follow Christ, but that he also is willing to step out of the boat, out of the relative safety of the boat, and follow and try to walk to Christ. Now, he failed a little bit, obviously, right? Because he starts to sing. But we see that Peter is willing to do what others are not. Peter is willing to step out and follow Christ because he believes. Today, we're going to talk about one of his other big moments. Obviously, that's what we're talking about all these weeks. But in that, we see the wisdom of Peter, but we also see the foolishness of Peter. And we see how his impulsiveness yet again leads him down a right path, but can also lead him down a wrong path. Down a, down a path that is not the way that you should go. So we're in Matthew 16, just a few short chapters after last week's Matthew 14. We're in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 23. Matthew 16, 13 through 23. It reads, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that, I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Verse 21 now. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. It's pretty obvious where the wisdom of Peter comes in and also where the foolishness of Peter comes in, but let's look at it. Number one here is putting it all together, putting it all together. So Jesus, right, he's out and he's with just his disciples. This takes place right after the few things that have happened here. Um, he fed another 4,000 people. We all know of the feeding of the 5,000. Well, he does it again here in chapter 15. And then in the beginning half of chapter 16, the Pharisees are testing Jesus. And so finally he takes just his disciples away. He's with just his friends. And they're walking around and they're talking. And Pete, Jesus hits them with this question who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, recognize, if you look back to what we uh, uh, talked about when he walks on the water, they say, you are certainly God's Son. So they've got this idea, God's Son, the Son of Man. These are titles that are all kind of the same. They're referring to the same person. And Jesus goes, who 
do people say that it is? And the disciples are like, well, you know, some people think that it's John the Baptist who just a few chapters before was beheaded. Now, John the Baptist, of course, is the one who says, I make the way. I'm the one making the way for the one who is to come. But sometimes people miss it. And then some are like, well, it's Elijah. It can't be somebody recent. It's got to be somebody way back when. Or Jeremiah. Or one of the other prophets. All right. Who do you say? Notice he doesn't say, who do you say the Son of Man is? He says, who do you say that I am? It's the same question. It's just worded differently now. Jesus is asking them the same question, but they didn't kind of get it the first time, so he's willing to reword it a little bit. It's what a good teacher does, right? They ask a question, nobody gets it. They go, all right, let me reword it for you. Let me change a little bit so that maybe you can, you can get it a little bit. And you got to think, okay, so maybe, just maybe, they take a second, and they're going, what? But Simon Peter, the impulsive one, the one who says what is on his mind, everything be damned, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's willing to just put it out there. You are the Christ. And you got to think that at that moment, the other 11 disciples were like, uh-oh. I mean, we all kind of are thinking it, but he just said it out loud. He just said out loud that this man who called each and every one of us, who we've seen perform huge miracles uh, and such, this man, you just said he is God. You just said he is the Messiah. You see, they may have all been thinking it, but Peter was willing to say it. You're the Christ. And what is Jesus' response? You got it. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Here's the thing, right? This book is incredible. But unless the Holy Spirit is working in you and, 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 and working through you, you'll never understand a word that it says. And the same thing is happening here. He says, you're blessed because God the Father chose you out of all the 12. He chose you to be the one to reveal this to. Slowly, it was the first time when he sees him and he's called. And maybe this time he goes, all right. So he's a prophet. I'll follow him. And then when he's caught walking on the water, Peter starts to realize, and he goes, no, 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 this is not just any prophet. This is someone more. And finally here, God allows Peter to put it all together. He reveals it to him and puts it all together. You are the Christ, and God says, Jesus says, that's it. And not only that, but you are Peter. I name you Peter, rock, and you will be the rock upon which I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Furthermore, anything that you loose in on earth will be loosed in heaven, anything you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Here's the thing, Peter, I'm looking at you, you're going to be the rock I build my church, the leader of these men, and I am giving you authority. I have ultimate authority, I am giving you authority, because Peter was the one willing to stand up and speak truth. To say, you are the Christ. It's that impulsiveness of Peter. Now he knew. But you know, somebody like John who was a little more soft spoken. A little younger. Quite a bit younger actually. He wasn't going to be the one that would have stood up in that moment. Or Matthew or any of the others. Peter was the one with the right makeup to do it. And he does. God gave him wisdom beyond what he naturally could have had. But here's the thing. 
we like to think that there's this massive chasm between wisdom and folly. There's not. And you can very easily slip to the one without even realizing it. Because the next part of this story, the very next thing is that Jesus starts telling them, he's going, uh, he, he starts telling them, hey, listen, you know what? I'm going to die. The chief, the, the chief priests and the scribes, they're all, they're going to kill me. So this is, number one was putting it all together. Number two is wisdom turns to folly, to folly. And, and, G, and, and Peter, you got to think, he's sitting there listening, and he was like, no, 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 no. Listen, I've seen you feed literally 50,000 people. I've seen you do such incredible things. You walked on the water. You allowed me to walk on the water. You're doing all of these things. You are the Christ. I just said it. You can't be killed by these evil men. So he pulls him aside. Jesus, Jesus, come here, come here, come here. Don't say these things. Let it never. God forbid it. God forbid it. Is God going to forbid this? No, we read in Isaiah that it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to pierce him for our iniquities. God wanted this to happen. God forbid it. No, God's causing it to come to pass. You see, here's the thing. Oftentimes we think of wisdom as the things that we say, right? The wisest people are the ones that say the wisest things. But perhaps the biggest piece of the wisdom pie, of the wisdom puzzle, is knowing when not to speak. It's not just knowing what to say, it's knowing when to say something, and more importantly, when not to say something. You see, is Peter factually incorrect? Is Peter factually incorrect in that, okay, Jesus doesn't, if he wants to stop it, he doesn't have to let the chief priests and the scribes kill him. And if you're sitting there going, well, that's not true. Look at his prayer when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't have to do this. It was willful. Is Peter infactual, factually incorrect when it came to knowing who Jesus was and that Jesus has the power and the authority to stop this from happening? No, he's not. What he's incorrect in is what's going to happen and what has to happen. You see, Peter got a big head. I'm the rock. I'm the one that Jesus is going to build his church on. I'm the one that's going to have authority. Oh, no, Jesus is saying stuff that doesn't quite compute with my idea. I better go rebuke him. I, I better go. I better go correct him because I'm wise. And oftentimes, right, we get the, with Jesus' response, we stick on the, the, the first part of it, get thee behind me, Satan. I like to say that to people when they, I don't like what they're telling me. They'll say something, and I'll go, get thee behind me, Satan, and then I do what I want, and it usually ends badly. But it's the second part of it that I think really matters here. For you are not setting your mind, and I'm on verse 23, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. You see, the big thing with wisdom is, whose interests are you focusing on? True wisdom is when you've set yourself solely on God's interests and you're willing to do what he wants and what he says. That's where true wisdom comes from. That's where true wisdom flows. Folly is when you set yourself on your own interests, on man's interests. Some of you that have known me for a long time may be like, well, Sam was always going to be in ministry. He's always had that sort of heart, that sort of way about him. But when I, in between my senior and, and uh, uh, my sophomore and junior years of college, I was done. I had to have the snot beat out of me by a church. 
I, I was completely and utterly done with people, with religion. I wasn't not a Christian anymore. I wanted to go to church still, but I didn't want anything, any parts of ministry. I had been in ministry for 20 years, and I didn't want any part of it anymore. And I told God, no, I'm not doing it. You gave me a mind that is good with facts, especially historical facts. And you gave me an ability to speak and to teach. I'm going to do what I wanted to do in the first place, which is be a history teacher. And on the side, because this will show you a little glimpse into me, I wanted to be a tour guide as well. Because the thought of just telling everybody a whole bunch of historical facts for the rest of my life sounded like heaven to me. It still does. I love telling people facts. And I told God, I said, I'm out. I know better than you. I know better than you what I want and what's for my life. I'm going to do what I, you see, was I factually incorrect? No. I know a lot of facts, especially historical ones. And I can publicly speak pretty well. But I was wrong in how I was supposed to apply myself. You see, the desires of my heart were not the desires of God's anymore. Now you might be sitting there and you might say, but pastor, doesn't the Bible say that if you're following after him, God's going to give you the desires of your heart? Yep, it sure does say that. You know what the context of that is? They're the desires of your heart and he gives them to you because the desires of your heart is what God desires. You get the desires of your heart because you desire what God wants, and what God wants is going to come to pass. So you get the desire of your heart. It doesn't mean that if I'm following after God, I'm going to end up, oh, oh, I had one, and it just flitted away. Oh, well. Oh, one of the desires of my heart. I told you, I love history and I love facts. I would love to take like a year, probably two, and just travel the world seeing ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, all the castles in Scotland and Ireland and England and such, and, and ancient Roman architecture. I'd love to go see all of that stuff. That is a massive desire of my heart. If you look through my Instagram feed, half of it is sports and half of it is ancient history. You know, that'll probably never happen. There's a few reasons for that. One, I'm terrified to fly, so it won't work out well. But two, because that's not where God has called me to be, at least at this point in my life. Now, maybe, maybe one day. But you know what? You know what I should be desiring more than anything? is to see people coming to him. What I should be desiring more than anything is for on light the night to have a family come to the church because of it. Or VBS or, or, or the Thrive Worship Night or something like that. Not me, but Christ's kingdom. Peter here is a, this, this moment is a microcosm of all of us. He has this incredible moment and this horrible moment. And if you look throughout Peter's life, those usually go hand in hand with him. Very rarely does he only have the good or only have the bad. Usually they happen together. So what can we take away? What is the big takeaway out of this, this story, this point? A couple of things. One, True wisdom is also knowing when not to say something. Practice that. It's hard. It is. Those of you who have had kids know that sometimes you're like, well, you got to say something. Sometimes you don't. There have been times when I've asked my dad, I've been like, why didn't you tell me this? Why didn't you say this? And he's like, it wasn't right. That's true wisdom. Secondly, and most importantly, where are your interests? Are they focused on man's, on your own 
Or are they focused on God's? I'm not telling you that every moment of every single day you're going to be successful. You're not. Neither am I. But overall, where do you place your interests? Where do they focus? When you're focused on God's interests, man, it's amazing what he does. It's amazing what he can do. When you're focusing on your own, he's still going to do those things. But now you're left behind. You're left in the dust. Seek true wisdom. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together and, and worship you and praise you and, and, and learn from your word. Father, I ask that you would be with us, that you would help us with our wisdom. Help us to put our minds completely on your interests every moment of every day. And in those moments when we fail, Father, I pray that you would forgive us and help us to come back to you. Father, it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen.